Welcome to the Living Out Podcast, helping people, churches and society talk about faith and sexuality. Well, hello and welcome to uh, the Living Out podcast. Uh, at Living Out, we help people, churches and society talk about faith and sexuality. And one of the ways we're seeking to do that is through this podcast, which we hope you've been listening along to. If you haven't uh, listened to previous editions, there's loads more. Uh, but we're looking forward to uh, this edition and this chance to interview another of the people that have written things for the website about their article and also a little bit about their life as well. Uh, joining me to ask the questions is the wonderful Anne uh, Witten, who is up in Newcastle and is about to say hello and tell me how she is. Hi, Ed. I am doing well, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's bright and sunny as always in Newcastle. Good to hear that. It's also bright and sunny in Bristol, which isn't often the case, but sadly, oh no, nicely is the case uh, today. Um, our guest today is uh, Peter Old, and he's coming from, well, the east of the country. So you are over in Kent, is that right? I'm over in Kent in the southeast, in Canterbury, actually. In Canterbury, yeah. oh, the centre of the Anglican Communion itself. Uh, what's the weather like there today? Oh, well, I thought you were going to ask me that. Uh, the weather today is uh, moderately sunny with a hint of rain for later. Oh, that is you. That, you're missing a career there. I know, missing a career on the BBC uh, there doing the weather forecast. Um, you don't do weather forecast. Uh, Peter, what do, you, what, what do you spend your time doing? So I have two jobs. Um, my main job is I work as a consultant statistician. And what I essentially do is I spec out uh statistical modeling projects for banks and utilities and retailers and all that all that kind of stuff uh that's my first job that pays the bills and then i'm also what's called a non-stipendary church of england priest which basically means i do all the vicary things but i don't get paid a penny by the church of england so the (laughs) the church of england likes you because you are you are basically free labor I am apparently the future of the church of england or so multiple doctorates tell me Yes, that's right. And you, you're you really into, uh, I sort of follow you at election times in particular, and there'd be quite a few of them over the last few years in the UK, because you love, you love the sort of um, opinion polls, predicting results, things like that too. Yeah, this is what's called cephology, which is the ology. You remember that that TV advert from the 80s? It's the ology of elections and particularly election statistics. And what I like to do, and I've been doing now for, oh gosh, 12, 13 years, is to try and dissect the opinion polls and make a prediction of what's going to happen. And um, uh, at the 2019 general election, there was about uh, 30, 40 different institutions trying to do that. And I was number two in the list and just barely missed uh, becoming the top predictor. Yeah, that was wow. right. It was. I know I could have basically saved staying up all night by just looking <laughs> at the stats that Peter came up with at the beginning of the night. I could have got a good night's sleep, but there we are. I didn't. I stayed up and found that he was right after all. <laughs> Peter, it's so it's so good to have you on the show. This is the first time we've actually kind of met, isn't it? Um, so I'm intrigued to find out a little bit more about you. Um, it's great to have a video of you sharing your story on the Living Out uh, website, and that's available if people want to go and watch that. Uh, but I just wanted to sort of find out a bit more about your your background, I guess particularly um, your experiences of, of sort of becoming aware of sexuality as you were growing mm-hmm. up. Um, are you from a, a sort of Christian background and, and how did you sort of 
become aware of your sexuality and, and how did that affect you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm certainly from, from a church-going background. Like we, we went to church every every week. I sang in the choir. We sung, you know, hymns ancient and crumbly, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and then um, I went off to university at 19 because I was very ill when I was 15 and sort of had a year out. And um, I was ended up at a university in Manchester through clearing. So I ended up where I didn't want to be. I ended up in a student hall that, that, that I didn't, hadn't ever planned to be. I ended up amongst a bunch of Christians. <laughs> and uh, we sort of, you know, God's way of orchestrating life. And uh, I realised that they were Christians and I wasn't. And I would call myself Christian, but I realised actually there's something fundamentally different about them. And eventually mm-hmm. I got dragged along to a church in Manchester in the May of that year, in the, my, my first year, and I met God. I just had a very, very powerful conversion experience and I gave my life to Jesus. And it was, uh, it was an absolute trans, transforming, uh, moment. And it was, um, I'd been given a, a Christian book for my birthday, My God is Real by David Watson, by mm. one of my friends. I kind of read three or four pages of it and thought, mm, put it back on, on, on the shelf. And after this meeting God, I took that book off again and I read it in like half an hour from front to cover and it made perfect sense. I picked up the Bible and I read all the way through Romans and it wow. made perfect sense. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it was like God transformed me and opened my eyes, opened my mind, opened my, opened my heart and I suddenly got it and I got Jesus and I gave my life to him. So I was about 20 years old. Right. And, I wasn't really aware of my sexuality at that point. I, I really only sort of came out to myself sort of two or three years later. The best way to describe it is I always thought I was waiting for the right girl to come along. And suddenly one moment I realised I was waiting for the right boy. I'm going to embarrass myself now. I realised <laughs> this watching a Backstreet Boys video what? on MTV. <laughs> And that dates fanci- you as well, doesn't it? <laughs> and suddenly, it does date me, and suddenly fancying one of the five, and, and I won't tell you who it was, you know, you can write in on, <laughs> on a postcard, and I suddenly realised I want to snog him, and I suddenly think, did I, did I think that? And suddenly, everything made sense. Wow. So... So actually, the, things happened quite quickly in your life, didn't they? You know, you, you God did this pincer movement on you and surrounded you with Christians. You gorged on Romans and kind of taking in, I guess, a lot of theology, learning a lot about God and also becoming aware of your sexuality. So kind of what happened next? Yeah, so so obviously I was like, this is interesting. Um, you know, coming from a, from a, a conservative Christian background, mm. uh, a culturally conservative background as well i just i just hadn't ever thought i i I think part of the reason why i hadn't realized i was gay was i hadn't ever thought of that as being a possibility right Mm -hmm. right and i think it's much easier to come out nowadays sort of you know because i i sort of did all that sort of almost 25 years ago 20 25 years ago it's much easier to to sort of come out to yourself and come out in society now because it's so mainstream Mm. and it's so normal and it just wasn't normal it just wasn't in my idea of what I could be so I kind of spoke to some people at church eventually sort of you know did the whole prayer, you know went to prayer ministry and I did the whole kind of thing I think I might be bisexual um kind of thing which was just like like no um but then sort of I went to see a few people and talked and and talked about it and 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 uh, the first time that I went to see a Christian counselor said well you can change and I was like okay that that really I'm not actually that interested in changing I'm more interested in coping and living as I am now and what was interesting for me, I think, was because before I 
understood my sexuality properly i'd had sort of two or three years of very good bible teaching i went to um in manchester i went to the new frontiers church there which was you know very conservative teaching i mean very charismatic but very conservative teaching i think while i was there we 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 went through john's gospel and all that kind of stuff and it was it was very powerful and very good grounding for me and i read voraciously a lot of theology so once i realized that i was gay and once I was doing all that, I, I, I never, ever had any issue with what the Bible said in terms of how I should use my body sexually. Right. But part of my theological journey has been to explore more and more why the Bible says what it says mm. about sexual behavior and sexual identity and what it means to be human and what it means for me to be male and how all sorts of, you know how sort of marriage and sex fits in with 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 Christ and the church and God's you know salvation plans and so on and and for me that that has been an, a, a journey of of theological richness and really mm. really sort of basically saying I don't want to just be told a list of do's and don'ts. I want to understand why. Mm. And the Bible does tell you why. It does tell you why. And and there are great answers. Mm. That That's fantastic. And actually, I can relate to a, a lot of that in my own journey. I think that I, I kind of was first confronted with the sort of, I guess, the clobber passages, the proof text, whatever you want to call it, the, the sort of explicit mentions of homosexuality. But actually hearing you talk about putting that in the context of a much bigger and much richer tapestry makes a lot of sense. So what what are some of the things, I guess, what, what do you find compelling and, and helpful and inspiring about the biblical pattern of sexuality? I, I think what I find inspiring and compelling is the sense of biblical manhood and womanhood and the sense of that meaning something and 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 how the bible talks about identity and talks about identity in christ and this all clicked for me at my church in london now it would have been about sort of about three or four years after i'd sort of come out to myself and begun to come out to people as well and we we were away on a prayer ministry uh weekend and uh, the vicar at the time was a lovely Jeremy Crosley. I remember someone asking, we sort of had a question and answer session. I remember somebody asked, uh, asking, you know, uh, what do we do if someone comes for prayer ministry and says that they're gay? Now, of course, you know, uh, it's just sticks like, oh, gay question. <laughs> Let me listen carefully here, you know, whilst trying to be as you know nonchalant about it as possible. And Jeremy said something very wise. He said, well, the first thing that we have to remember is that ultimately in front of God, there are just human beings who are either in Christ or not in Christ. Mm. And that's the core of human identity. Either you're in Christ or you're not in Christ. And something in me just clicked. It was a, like a spiritual moment where I suddenly realised, you know what? The core of my identity isn't gay or straight. It's Peter in Christ. Wow. It's the 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 that Jesus has redeemed me and bought me and is everything for me, and everything else falls into insignificance. And if I try to build my identity on those things, they're going to get in the way mm. of Jesus. That doesn't mean that I should live in denial about who I am and and how I feel and what I experience, 
but it does mean that I should stop thinking about them in terms of a core part of my identity mm -hmm. and, and being, being integral to who I am. The only thing that is integral to who I am is Jesus. And my whole attitude changed. And it was like I was liberated. I was, I was up to that point, I was trapped in being gay and trying not to be gay. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly realised that God didn't give two hoots about whether I was gay or straight. What he actually cared about was, was I following him and was I living mm. for him and was I trying to be Christ-like? Mm. That's such a wonderful insight um, and very countercultural, isn't it, in terms of how we find our identity and our value uh, and the most true thing about ourselves. Um, yeah. You talked about, uh, you used this phrase, being gay but trying not to be gay. And I guess that there are probably people listening to this podcast for whom um, attraction to the same sex is a very real struggle. Um, and and they may not be on the same page sort of theologically. Obviously, uh, you got you got to put quite quickly where you were convinced that that same sex sexual behavior wasn't a good thing. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what would you kind of say to people who are trying to work through what the Bible says and what it means for their lives? And, you know, people facing the prospect maybe of not having a sexual relationship. Um, is there some encouragement and some hope that you could give to them? Yeah, I think, I think there actually is. Now I'm, I'm in a position where I'm now, I'm, married i've had four kids um so you know i feel fake every time that i kind of try to talk to people about a life of celibacy and so on but i was very committed uh, to celibacy from my mid to late 20s onwards I, I i can't give you sort of words of encouragement to say oh you know if, if you do x y and z it will be fine because mm. i think i think all of us who have who have lived tried to live celibacy and deliberately lived it and those have those of us on this podcast who are still doing so. Actually, it's really, really, really hard. But what I discovered was when I made the deliberate choice not to look for a relationship, mm -hmm. when I stopped making a relationship an idol and sex an idol, and I made a deliberate choice, said, right, God, I'm gonna, I'm I'm going to not look for a relationship and whether that is a gay relationship or try to change or that kind of stuff I'm simply going to live as I am Peter for you to what I see you 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 calling me to in the scripture and let you be in charge of that my life changed and I stopped and and, and I see so many people gay and straight and every little spectrum in in between who who chase relationships mm. And we see it, and, 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 and our churches are sadly very heteronormative and very marriage-focused, right? Um, and, and, and we sort of, you know, uh, we have a real danger of making sort of things like, you know, student ministries and 20s ministries, sort of dating clubs. And in doing that, we really undermine the message of Scripture, which, you know, which is, which is essentially men and women are called in their lives to honour Jesus. And there are particular ways that we can do that. We can get married as a man and a woman. And in that relationship and in that sexual relationship and that union, 
um, signify the union of Christ and his church. And there's powerful stuff there. And we could talk for hours on that. And I've lectured on that. And you can go and, you know, you can, uh, you can go and read that afterwards and post, post links to that afterwards. So that's, so that's one way that we are called as men and women to, to use our bodies and our lives to glorify God and, and to speak of him. But the other way that we can do that is to be deliberately and consciously single. And to not let our bodies say things about God and Jesus that are wrong and therefore and therefore idolatrous. This was one of the key sort of theological things that um, that, that I picked up sort of uh, very early on. I was fed up with people saying, you know, uh, the Bible isn't about sex. You know, it's about money, blah, blah, blah. Actually, you, you look at the Bible. It's all about sex. <laughs> it's constantly about sex and marriage and kids and procreation and so on. And there's a deliberate reason for that. Because, and this is where we become Certificate 15, because <laughs> the height of sexual activity and the pinnacle, the orgasm, is all designed to be pointing towards the union of Christ and his his church. I did a lecture series on Song of Songs and did a lot of study on it. And the whole of Song of Songs is a chiasm. So it's basically it's one big sort of mirror up to, to the middle and comes back as a sort of a, a Hebrew way of writing stuff where one side mirrors the other. And within it, there are lots of chiasms and chiasms. And right in the middle... Right in the middle at, at, at the chiasm is literally an orgasm. It is the sexual union of Solomon and his wife, of the beloved and the beloved, right? Um, um, and, and it was like, when I saw this, I was like, you know, God, you're having a laugh. And he was like, no, I'm serious. I'm deadly serious. And so all of the Bible... It's, it has this meta-narrative around sex and marriage and so on. And it's all about Jesus. So when we do sex right, we're worshipping God, right? When we choose to constrain sex within the marriage of a man and a woman, we are choosing to let our bodies signify the greatest thing God has ever done, which is to save his people, right? So at the same time, therefore, when we choose deliberately to not let our bodies act sexually in ways that signify something else, we are at the same time worshipping with our bodies. So my deliberate refusal to enter a same-sex sexual relationship is worship because I'm not letting my body say something wrong about Jesus and therefore act idolatrously. When I don't sleep around, I am worshipping Jesus with my body sexually. And all these things were just fascinating for me and just really helped me get a vision for my life. This is so exciting, Peter. It's just the, the kind of hearing you speak so passionately is, is a real inspiration and um, and just very helpfully reminding us that this isn't about a kind of private matter of sexual ethics that we could just sort of agree to disagree on, but actually the, the entire gospel story is woven into how we relate to each other bodily and, and sexually and that fundamentally it's about honouring Jesus. Living Out and True Freedom Trust are hosting the Exiles on This Earth conference on Saturday the 19th of June. We'll be unpacking how we can continue to believe in God's good design for relationships in the midst of a world increasingly dismissive of Christian morality. It's going to be a fantastic and encouraging day. So to get your tickets, go to livingout.org slash events. Peter, very kindly, about seven or eight years ago, um, when we first launched the Living Out website, uh, you wrote an article for us uh, called Can Your Sexuality 
uh, change. And I suppose my first question to you is, is has your sexuality changed? Because you were somebody who was, uh, you know, using your own, uh, the label used gay, uh, you're now married uh, to a woman, you've got kids. Has your sexuality changed? I think everybody's sexuality changes. And, and um, as a statistician, I was, and as a gay statistician, as it were, I was, and as a conservative Christian gay statistician, I was fascinated by this question, can, can people change and what the research is? And, and the more I got into it, and I've been reading this stuff like for 25 years now, the more I got into it, the more I realised that actually the real answer to that question is quite subtle. Um, we, we really need to talk about what change actually means. But the bottom line is that some people do experience quite profound changes in their sexual orientation and their sexual identity. Some people don't. I personally have certainly changed how I see myself. Um, does it mean I'm less attracted to men now than I was 25 years ago? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, probably not that much. Is the way that I view myself as a sexual being and therefore how I interact with those things changed? Undoubtedly. So let's pick up on one of those ideas. How significant has have the sort of expressions of identity been for you as a Christian? Uh, how have, you know, using different identity labels at different times, seeing yourself in different ways at different times, how, how much has that been part of your story? Yeah, it's been quite an important part of my story. It's been, it's been quite complex. So I've moved from, I, I, over time, I've moved from, seeing myself as gay and being trapped by that to kind of almost rejecting that and using a, a creating this sort of language of post-gay like I've moved like a vector I've moved beyond being gay uh, which causes lots of people lots of uh, upset and the, you, you are, then you go go into the whole space the whole kind of ex-gay you no I'm not ex-gay I'm post-gay what does that mean and then I kind of gave up on that and I therefore well then basically I'm just Peter sexual right um, which is a great way. No, I'm just Peter Sexual. You're, you're Ed Sexual and, and Sexual. That's a great way to, 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 to describe ourselves. These days, um, I use, <laughs> I use being gay or not gay poli very politically. So I use it in terms of if people want to cut me out of a conversation because I'm not the proper kind of gay, then I'm, I'm very gay. And if people don't want, and if and, and if it really doesn't matter, then I kind of go well. Really, gay doesn't doesn't quite describe my sexual identity. I think gay is great to describe something that you're feeling and and, and experiencing. The danger is, like any other label, like what spoke with um, with um, Anne, you know, before in in the in the podcast. When it becomes a constraint, when it shackles you then it's dangerous. And that's the same with any label, right? Whether that's white, black, uh, gay, straight, Greek, or Jew, right? <laughs> you know, it, it is, it, when you use that and it constrains you, you want to get rid of it because actually it's in Christ that is the key identity. And you mentioned earlier when, when talking to Anne that you once went to a Christian counsellor and they were interested in whether you were wanting to change. And you said, you weren't interested in wanting to change. Uh, why, 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 why weren't you wanting to change? Well, I, when I saw that council, I wasn't interested. I, I, I was more interested. I was, I was more like sort of, um, I, I just want to cope. 
And then as I began to cope, I thought, oh, actually, I would like to change. And then I, as a, I began to read a lot of, of the research, and there's been super amounts of stuff done on this. Um, and, and there are two kind of fields of research here. The first is people whose orientation changes naturally. And there's a lot more of this than we think. Right. Um, so sort of key researchers would be Dixon in the sort of the late 90s, early thousands, a lot of research amongst female college students and showing, for, for example, in one cohort. So, so one group of um, of um, uh, female students showing how of, of a group of students who are at the age of sort of 20 or so identified as lesbian, less than a third were describing themselves as lesbian seven or eight years later. Um, but with the same cohort of sort of male students, a lot more fixed sexual identity and sexual ex experiences. And then there's a, a great researcher called Lisa Diamond, based at the University of Utah. She's a, she's a lesbian herself. She, I'm happy to say that. She does a lot of research in, into this. And she's been diving into the idea of fluidity in male sexuality and surprising herself on the kind of research sort of answering. And, lots, and, and just doing stuff like interviewing lots and lots of gay men who would put themselves as, as exclusively homosexual in terms of their sexual orientation. And then when you ask them about their sexual partners in the last year, there's lots of women in there. And she's sort of going, what's going on here? And, and is male sexuality uh, a lot more fluid than we, than we normally think? So, so natural changes um, is, is, is one thing. But I think often when, when we sort of ask the question, you know, can your sexuality change? What we're thinking about these things called sexual orientation change efforts, right? So, you know, sort of, uh, or, you know, sort of therapeutic programs or other things like that that can change people's, um, sexuality. There's a lot of anecdotal, um, uh, stories about people whose sexuality has, has changed. In the same way, there's lots of anecdotal stories of um, of people who have sort of been through these kind of therapies and said that they have got lots of lots of harm. But um, one of the things that, that I teach my graduates um, as they come and join our firm is, you know, one of Peter's axioms is the plural of anecdote is not anecdata, and that's why we have proper research. And there has actually only ever been one proper what we call longitudinal studies. So you, you sort of take take people at the start of um, of a therapy program and you track them all the way through and afterwards. And that is the Jones and Yarhouse ex-gay study, sort of done in the back end of, of the thousands, sort of from about two, 2005 on to about, I think, 2011. There's a number of papers and then a book. And they tracked about 100 men and women, though some dropped out over time, going through a variety of things like prayer counselling, talking groups and so on. And two things came out from that. So the first was that there was no statistically significant change in people's sexuality. So what that means is that when we sort of crunch the numbers, even though some, some people may have reported a bit of change or so, and other people changed the, the other way, overall, there's no real statistical evidence that, that people's sex, sexuality change. However, what they did find was that people's sense of identity changed. And even though they would have stayed gay, they were much more happy being gay and much more comfortable. And the second thing that they found, and this was really, this is really crucial because this is the, again, this is the, the, the only time 
that researchers have followed a large group of people through therapy, talking to them before the therapy, at the start of therapy, and in therapy, and then going through, and doing proper psychological profiles on them at all those points. What they found was there was no statistical significant evidence of any harm whatsoever. Even in people who dropped out and said it failed and they felt they felt harmed. But actually, when you gave them a psychological ass assessment and compared them to how they were before, there's no statistical significance. So, so you can take all these stories, but what the good research shows is that while individuals might change, you can't guarantee it. But at the same time, unless you're actually actively doing something abusive to people, there's no evidence that these things actually harm people in the long run. Thanks, Peter. That's so helpful. I mean, your article is incredibly helpful as well in both, as it were, explaining more of that, but also giving people the links that they can follow up to, to find things out themselves. I suppose it's probably also worth saying, isn't it, that the, that the, the Stanton Yarhouse stuff is focusing on, as it were, responsible forms of therapy. And there yes. have been, sadly, some hugely irresponsible forms of therapy carried out on, on young people, particularly in the States over the decades. Oh, absolutely. And here in the UK, we've got a debate right at the moment about banning reparative therapy. Um, and so things like electroshock treatment and, you know, doing abusive things to, to people, uh, that's already banned, right? That's, that's, that's assault and all those kind of things. That's all already banned. And there have been some horrific cases in the States. Um, and, and, you know, we would all condemn those, absolutely. But what we're talking about here is sort of uh, uh, talking groups. So almost the same kind of talking groups that you would go to if you were in Alcoholics Anonymous or drug recovery or, 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 or uh, dealing with other behavioural issues. Um, and it's, it's kind of very hard to sort of say, well, which bit is the gay bit? And which bit is actually just CBT or Jungian or Gestalt or other kind of approaches. And that's why the government actually over here has been very cautious in banning reparative therapy, because actually very hard to, to define that. So, yeah, absolutely ban stuff that is a that is abusive. But actually, the, uh, people should be able to just talk about their um, their um, sexuality and talk about what they want for their life. Um, and 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 it doesn't need to be affirming or non-affirming. It just needs to be the uh, just needs to be the person focused. Great, thank you very much. Do read uh, Peter's uh, article on the Living Out website. Uh, Can your sexuality change? Uh, there's also uh, an article by me actually on uh, sort of Living Out's official line on reparative change therapy. If you want to find out uh, more about that. Uh, that is uh, sadly all that we've got time for today. It would be lovely to keep chatting with Peter, to keep asking questions, but uh, we've got to uh, sort of put a break in uh, there. And I just wanted to thank uh, Peter for joining us. Thank you for listening. And I uh, encourage you, if you are listening, you're becoming a regular uh, listener to the podcast, to subscribe to us uh, so you keep getting uh, episodes uh, delivered straight to you. And also just to rate us, and uh, basically rate as well, um, <laughs> if uh, you want to. If you want to rate us badly, please don't. But if you want to rate as well, uh, please uh, do that. Uh, do... Uh, Visit the Living Out website. New resources appearing all the time, blogs, podcasts, and also plenty of older resources uh, waiting there for you. But for now, uh, thank you very much, Peter. Uh, thanks, Anne, and good uh, to be with you all today. <laughs>